0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele
1: and I'm Jeff Cobb and this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: Welcome to episode 149 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around we talk with Gerald Bonner. Gerald is a TEDx speaker, author of Sharpening China's Talent and co-founder of Corralling Chaos, a consulting firm focused on lowering the cost of the workplace through learning agility. He is also someone who is, as futurist and previous podcast guest Heather McGowan put it, a living example of the agile learning mindset and the future of work. Before we get to the conversation with Gerald, here's a message from Next Thought, our sponsor for the third quarter of 2018.
1: Brought to you by NextThought, associationsnext.com is your opportunity to learn from some leading thinkers in e-learning and membership organizations, as well as giving you the chance to test drive the NextThought LMS platform. In this educational series, you'll uncover new knowledge about instructional design, digital strategy, and staying true to your organization's long-term goals in the face of rapid change. Kiki Latalian, Tracy King, and Lowell Applebaum lead the first three modules, and more courses will be added on a monthly basis. Visit associationsnext.com to enroll and experience the revolutionary Next Thought LMS for yourself.
0: So, Jeff, give us a, a taste of what's to come. What do you and Gerald talk about?
1: Well, you mentioned Heather McGowan in the intro for this episode, and it was actually Heather who connected me with Gerald. And once she understood what we're all about here at Leading Learning, she felt that Gerald was someone who we just really needed to talk to because he truly does represent a person who is really a a shapeshifter, to use a term that I used in my book, Shift-Ed. He's someone who has lived the reality of adapting to new work and career circumstances and even changing careers entirely and moving to China for an extended period as part of that shift. And it just so happens that he's now living quite near to us here in Carborough, North Carolina. So this is the, the first time that I've actually been able to sit down in person with a podcast guest. And that was great to be able to do, and we were able to have an in-depth, interesting conversation about his story and what it really means to be a knowledge worker and an agile learner in today's fast-paced world.
0: Wow, it sounds like a great conversation and a great perspective for listeners here to have access to. So, let's cue the interview with Gerald
1: Hello out there, I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm talking with Gerald Bonner. Gerald is a TEDx speaker and the author of Sharpening China's Talent. He's also a co-founder of Corralling Chaos, a consulting firm focused on lowering the cost of the workplace through learning agility. Perhaps most importantly for purposes of this podcast, however, Gerald is a walking, talking model of the new knowledge worker. In fact, Heather McGowan, who we interviewed recently on Leading Learning, describes him as a living example of the agile learning mindset and the future of work. I'm expecting that to be a key focus of our
2: discussion, but first, Gerald, welcome to leading learning. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, after hearing about you and listening to Heather's podcast, and a- actually, it's it's uh, it's quite fun that I'm actually sitting here with you and looking at you because uh, I heard that's uh, a unique situation. It is unique. I think it may be the first time. Uh, when I went to to find out more
1: about you after after Heather had mentioned you, I realized you were in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, right next. Door to Little Carborough where we are located, so I think you are officially the first person who has sat across the table from me, other than co-host Salisa Steele. So uh, uh, we'll have to give you some sort of badge or something for that. Or you've you got your Leading Learning mug as a <laughs> yeah, gift, so to, to com- true, yeah. commemorate the occasion. So, uh, but you know to to. to kick things off, I want to pick up a little bit on on what Heather um, uh, said about you, because she, she added to her comment that you're somebody who continuously scans the landscape for change and opportunity and adds to your own capacity whenever possible. And, um, I think it's probably important for people to understand why she might say something like that about you. Cause you've got uh, a really interesting story that's evolved over the past, uh, I guess, couple of decades or so that took you to China, uh, you know, made you the type of person who could write something like sharpening China's talent. And I know it's taken you a lot of other places. So can you, can you give us sort of the, the, the backdrop
2: to this conversation, your, your story? Sure. Uh, Jeff. So, um, I started out as a, you know, young guy in Brooklyn, and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took a IT course for learning uh, technology, and came to North Carolina to actually work for IBM, building banking equipment in Charlotte when they opened up the IBM Charlotte facility. And you know, I worked there seven years, and actually, I've never worked for any company more than seven years. Mm. So I've been, you know, I've constantly been in a situation where I'd go into companies, learn new things, and go. I don't like this. I don't like the culture. At that time, they didn't talk about it as a culture, but you just knew things weren't right um, in in the, a high tech space. And you know, seeing the 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 coming of age of computers, uh, where I'm a first gen internet guy, so I was in the banking industry deploying token ring networks. I was in uh, telecommunications rolling out uh, Ethernet, uh, and I've seen a whole wide range of software and, and applications that creating things from scratch. And you were there when the bottom fell out of everything, I think. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so in 2001 when the bottom fell out, we were like I was like, well what am I going to do? I've seen these, you know, ditches before and I don't I think the uh, jobless recovery would be quite deeper than uh, than the past. And so I just turned around and said, "Hey, um um they say it's a global economy and I can be a global employee so uh I met somebody while I was on the road uh, for a business trip who was a drummer in Argentina for uh, a guy that was playing uh, blues in Argentina and I asked him what do you do here when you don't play drums and he said well I teach English and I was like you teach English and he said yeah and I said well how do you stay in the country and he said well I just go across the border every 90 days and get a tourist visa and I went I can do that. And And this is in China. uh, No, this was in Argentina. This is in Argentina. And okay. Yeah. And I said, well, I can do that. And so I came back from my business trip and I was thinking, yeah, teach English in Argentina. And then in 2001, the Argentinian economy. Fell out as well, oh. and so then I talked to somebody in my network, and he said, Gerald, the United uh, He said, China just got into the World Trade Organization and they're going in to have the Olympics in 2008, they're going to need English teachers. Mm. And so, I st- then, and then I talked to my neighbor, and he told me his daughter just came back from teaching English in China for six months. And after speaking to her, I learned that I needed to get my ESL certification, went to Duke, got that. In in the in the middle of all that, I got a job with Schwab. Lost that job again. So within a one year period, I was laid off twice. Wow! And so I just you know at the after I got laid off the second time, I just said, well, I'm going to go to China and see what happens. Worst case scenario, I always wanted to live in another country, so I just said, okay, I go there. If I don't like it, I come home in a year, and at least I can say I lived in China for a year. If I adapt and learn and and really pick it up uh, I'll stay. And, you know, one thing led to another and with the doc, uh, with the great, uh, financial crisis, 2008, it just ended up being a 14 year stay. Wow. And so, I mean, that takes, that takes some guts basically
1: to kind of throw it all in and, and go to, you know, a completely different country. I assume you knew no Chinese whatsoever I knew no Chinese. At, at that point in time. And, uh, and just to see if you were going to be able to make it or not. And, I mean, in some ways, that's, well, in every way, that's kind of what you have to have, I think, to to be this kind of agile learner, um, the, the new knowledge worker. But um, I mean, a lot of people don't have that. Why, wh- why do you think you had that? Is there something in your background? Is there something that's just core to your personality that... Gave you the motivation, gave you the, the the will to go do something like that.
2: Well, uh, a friend of mine shared an article with me that said the two thousand one dot com bust uh, was going to be a unique period of extended layoffs, and this is a time to do something bold. And having learned that it was so easy to get a job in China, I mean. I put my I applied for five uh, jobs in China and got five offers f- to be an English teacher, and it's it's not great pay, but you know they give you mm-hmm. free Chinese lessons, they give you free living, um, you know you get enough to survive, and you know that's a pretty good deal compared to okay I don't know how long it's going to take for me to get a job, so I just you know threw my resume out there after getting my certification, had five schools want me to come to China, and it was like. Five offers in one week, right? Mm-hmm. So I just uh, took it. Um, the other thing I learned while in China, uh, I can't remember the guy. I can't pr- or I can't pronounce the guy. Is it Talib? The guy that wrote the Black sw- uh, the black swan?
1: I, bu- I believe that's how you pronounce his last okay. name. I'm reading his latest book right now. He's fascinating, okay. fascinating writer. Right. Yeah. So
2: I his third book, uh, anti fragile. I mm-hmm. believe I'm anti fragile. Okay. Right. So I believe that it doesn't matter what life throws me, I'm able to adapt and I've learned how to build the courage
1: to do that. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't read that book. I'm, it's on my list now to read all of his books because mm-hmm. uh, I'm reading Skin in the Game right now, okay. which is, is late. It's fantastic. And uh, so I hadn't quite thought about the anti-fragile concept relative to, to learning and to being a, a learner, but that, that's that's spot on. I can see mm-hmm. how that would be the case. And but you were there for fourteen years. Yeah. I mean, you spent a lot of time there, and you did quite a few things while you were there. Uh, I know at some point you were doing some things for LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the different roles that uh, that you played there, yeah. and how that happened?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I went over with with just um I, I as soon as I got on my plane on the plane, my first goal was achieved, which was live in another country for a year. Because as soon as, you know, as soon as I got there, I had work, so I didn't have to worry about, you know, how am I going to make money? And I started learning Chinese because that was another goal. And, um, you know, I started telling people, you know, oh, yeah, well, after uh, uh, I started meeting some business people, I said, yeah, well, I want to become a business coach and a consultant and a corporate trainer. And, um, you know, I, I did my learning, uh, my learning of Chinese in the morning and I taught English in the afternoon and on the weekends I would study and at nights I would study Chinese and I'd walk around the neighborhoods practicing my Chinese. And then about two, after about a year, I met somebody from Volvo there who, and Volvo had just opened up a, cor- a new truck manufacturing facility and they said they needed a, a coach and a corporate trainer to teach p- their Chinese leadership uh, international business standards. And I was like, okay, I can do that. You know, the uh, Richard Branson says first take the assignment, then figure out how to do it. That's me. You know, I just say yeah, yeah I can do that. Let's do it, right? And um, in, I think it was ninety four, ninety five. I really, really picked up reading a whole lot of books, and reading those books just taught me all different things about people, personality profiling, people's, uh, uh reading people, business strategies. I just started. You know, if I wasn't reading a business book, I you know I, I wasn't yeah. reading.
1: So what and, and, you know, you sent me some things that uh, that you've done around sort of documenting this process of yours. Uh, you've got your your Agile career. Um, you've got some slides on that that really show the the, the steps you went oh, yeah. through. And maybe we can even post a, a screenshot on, uh, of that in the show notes if you're all right with that. But then you'd also sent me a document where you've documented, you know, all these different things you've read, all the courses you've taken, uh, mm. th- those sorts of things. So you've obviously been very deliberate, d- deliberate about it. Um, I- I'm wondering, you know, as far as the... The reading goes um, I mean is there is there are there one or two books that just really impacted you the most uh, during that time period
2: yeah so um the first book that impacted me the most and and this might sound trivial now but was the seven habits of highly effective people Mm. in fact uh my company in china was called sharpening axes which when people looked at the logo and the name they would say is that kind of like sharpen the saw Mm -hmm. from Stephen covey and i'd like bingo right so um his book really really motivated me to be, you know, sharpen my saw, learn what I need to learn. Uh, think of the end in mind. I I wrote a mission statement that is a living document that went from, you know, my mission code to then all, all rules of life. And so, so an example of the constant learning. So I started my mission statement after learning that from seven habits. And then I was listening to NPR and somebody had passed away and they said he had three rules of life. Rule number one was, um, uh, Uh, Rule number one was, I think, always be learning, don't hurt nobody, and uh, have fun and laugh. And I was like, okay, those are three cool rules. So I put them down. Then all of a sudden, as I was going through life, I kept adding different rules as I would hear different things. And now it's like 30 rules long. So um, back to the other thing you said about... um, about the books and the and the career, I had a career development document, is what Jeff's referring right, to, yeah. right? So this was like nineteen ninety eight that I started keeping a list of all the business. This is before Goodreads, yeah. This you know which seminars did I take, um, which books did I read, and when I would apply for a job, and people would say, well, what would you like us to know? I'd say, well, I'd like you to have a copy of my career development uh, document, and they go. What's this? I'm like, well, this is just a list of how I keep uh, uh, up to date of what the uh-huh. business trends are. And they would just look at me like I had six heads. Like, yeah. why would
1: you do that? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they'd never been given anything like that before. I mean, it was a, particularly at that point in time, a very unusual thing yeah, to do. right. And uh, I mean, it because I, I saw that document when you gave it to me. And it's like these days, uh, you know, there, there are companies out there like DeGreed, uh, for example. I don't, know, I don't know if you're familiar with them, um, mm-hmm. but we, we interviewed uh, Kelly Palmer, who's the CLO there. And they have a platform that, you know, Whatever you read, it might be an article you know, or you might watch a, a YouTube video or you might go to a, you mm-hmm. know a, a conference or whatever, but the, the platform allows you to pull all of that in and kind of you know aggregate it and even get they even have ways to get certified in certain areas you know by, uh, mm-hmm. by doing all these uh, in, informal um, learning activities and uh, your document kind of reminded me of that, but it was sort of the, the prototype mm-hmm. of that I mean you started doing that before it was the thing to do um, right basically yeah. so that, that, that's, that's amazing. Um, and I know that uh, you just talked about, you know, Stephen Covey's uh, rules and adopting those and then, you know, the 30 that uh, you've worked up to, um, and it'd be great to hear, you know, some more about uh, what those rules are maybe as we go along here. But as I've noted before, you've, you've been very intentional ab- about this, and you have your own kind of uh, sort of structure that you put a- around things. Um, I went and I know one of the things you did when you were in China is you did uh, the, the TEDx talk mm-hmm. um, in, in, in Shanghai, and we'll definitely, you know, link to that in, in the show notes, but in that, you lay out uh, what you think are sort of the key uh, aspects, key points for, mm-hmm. for being a knowledge worker, um, drawing on Drucker's you know, uh, idea of, mm-hmm. of the knowledge worker and, and the economy we, we currently live in. So I was thinking it'd be interesting to kind of walk through those. Um, and talk about sort of your your perspective on them, how they've impacted you and um, and how you know how anybody should be thinking about these as a as a lifelong learner now. Um, so I'll throw out the first of those, which you know and, and you've already alluded to this um, is just continuous improvement um, and uh, I mean, one thing I loved about that. Uh, you know, if you're going to be a lifelong learner, obviously continue improvement is, Mm -hmm. is part of the deal. But you talked about courage, um, as part of that, which I thought was interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, um, the, the need for, for
2: courage as part of continuous improvement? Oh, sure. So courage, you know, and again, uh, there are a lot of people that are really focused on this, like, uh, Believe it or not, I'm a big Brene Brown fan, right? Mm, and after I, see, I love her work, yeah. yeah. After I've seen her stuff about uh, vulnerability and shame, it's like, wow, that really touched me. So courage is just about, you know, having the guts to do it because... You know, if you don't do it and you don't take the risk, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, An example of this that was really funny back to getting to China, I interviewed with a local company in um, in two thousand two, and I took their their sales uh, assessment test to see what kind of salesperson. Ended up in the top fifteen percent, and they like, well, we're not going to offer you a job. And I'm like, well, why not? And they said well, we just don't think you'll have enough risk and you take enough risk to get orders and and to push the clients to, to take, (laughs) yeah, right. To take, to take, to get move the stuff along. And I'm like, well, let me ask you something. What would you think about my risk level? If I told you, if you don't make me this offer, I'm moving to China. And they were like, you're what? I'm (laughs) like, yeah, I'm moving to China in three months. You know, if you don't, you know, I'm going to buy a plane ticket in two, a month or two. And they were like, You know, they just were stunned. So courage, you know, really is, it was a really, really tough thing. And, um, the courage and the ability to just sit back and go, okay, I can do this. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, even though I'm in the process of starting a new company, I've been back almost a year now from China. I've yet to earn a paycheck Mm. and, but I still have the courage to know that I will find something because I'm that anti-fragile guy. And, I've learned financial intelligence, and that's one of the things that's kind of changed through my personal mission statement. I went from I want to be emotionally intelligent, and then I went, and then I added physically intelligent and financially intelligent. And then I added motivational intelligent. So I've got all these multi intelligences that you know I think I, you got to learn because uh, my biggest challenge in my younger days was uh, I was an ENTJ, which uh, is a, in Myers Briggs as a leader. Mm. And uh, what I learned at that point, is said, leaders don't care about people's feelings. And so, so I was like, man, I got to learn how to care about people's feelings. And so the first thing I started doing was learning how to do that. And I learned how to be a great active listener. And from that, I learned how to read people's emotions. And then my core stuff that I taught in corporate training in China was all based on active listening and uh, emotional intelligence. And people were like, how do you read our body language so well? I'm like, because I've practiced doing it. Huh. And an example of that, okay, I'd be on the bus in China or on the metro in China and by myself, and I'd be on the train for 15, 20 minutes, and I'd watch couples talk. And because they're speaking in Chinese and because there's so much noise, all I could do is read their body language. And I would just right. sit there for 20 minutes, you know, watching people, looking to see how their bodies removed. I could tell who would be having an argument. I can be telling who's happy, so, you know, how many people get on a subway or go on a bus and go, I'm gonna watch these people, see if I can figure out their body language?
1: Wow, so that first one is continuous improvement. Right. And I think that's an example of how continuous improvement really is continuous. It's happening right. all the time. You need to you know recognize it's, everything's a learning uh, opportunity in a way, even if yeah. you're just riding on the bus. The, the next one that you uh, mentioned in that TEDx talk is measuring, mm-hmm. so tell me, you know obviously, we want evidence that we've accomplished something mm-hmm. we want to be able to show that evidence to other people uh, as you were able to do with your career development document mm-hmm. um, uh, What are some ways you measure yourself now, and how would you encourage people who are learning to to
2: measure themselves okay, so how I would um so again, back to reading <laughs> mm-hmm. right so I, I know how much I'm reading, I know how much how, how many podcasts i'm I'm watching. Um, I know how much time I spend doing this. So what people need to do is they when it comes to measuring, they need to think it's just like going to the gym. Mm. Uh, you know, I go to the gym, I do my exercise. Next morning, you get on the scale, right? If you don't get on right. the scale once or twice a week, you never know if you're losing weight or, or, or gaining weight. Um, how do you know if you're saving enough money for that house or the car? You look at your bank book, right? Well, you know, you got to be aware and of the behaviors that the the um, the change is. So if it says do you say thank you enough? Or is it, uh, you give good feedback or is it, you know, how do you do it? You, you just got to start counting that. You got to be cognizant of the fact that you did it. Mm. And so if you're not cognizant of it and you're not going, again, it's just like, you got to go, okay, I did it. And I'm not losing track of where I, what I'm doing in the process. So it's, it's, you just got to and you got to know what you're measuring and you got to know why you're measuring it. You know? Um, if you're measuring, like uh, a guy said to me one day in China, he said, he said, how, do, after I gave that speech uh, six, on the six competencies of success, uh, he said to me, look, I want to be, I love computer games. How do I get a job doing, uh, um, you know, working in computer game industry, but I have no, I don't write code. I said, well, what do you love about computer games? He goes, well, I love the sound. I love the graphics. I'm like, have you ever thought that, um, you could get paid to test the computer games and tweak the graphics, tweak the sounds, and tell them, you know, find the bugs because you would do something in the game that the game hasn't been coded for. He's like, I could get paid for that. I'm like, sure you can. (laughs) He goes, well, I was like, you know, if you say it's too slow. And he's like, I never thought I could get paid for that. I'm like, yeah. So how does that go back to measuring? Well, if you notice a glitch every time you, uh, on the computer screen, Right? Then, and you start counting it and you're going one, there's one glitch, there's another glitch, there's another glitch. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with how are you changing? Mm-hmm. It's okay, I want to be better at giving feedback. So the next question would be so, did I give feedback today? And if I didn't give feedback today, you know, what, then what am I going to do tomorrow? Um, I can't remember the author of the book, but there, um, the name of the book was uh, Transforming Habits, uh-huh. and, and the guy talks about the three R's, and uh, I, I, he helped me clarify what I had been thinking about, which is, first, you have to know what you want to change, and he calls it, you need a reminder, and then you have to know the routine, so what's the practice technique, and then the last one is reward yourself, and um, y- so what I would say to people is, uh, the especially at work, if you want to change something the way you're doing differently, like say you want to run better meetings. Well, the first thing you would do is say, well, I need to have better agendas. So the reminder is, okay, I made a meeting schedule appointment. Write, did I write down what I want out of this meeting? Did I have at least three things? of what I want out of the meeting. And if you haven't set up the meeting and said, okay, I want these three things, well then the next day you gotta go, okay, my next meeting, do I have these three things? And mm. then once you got those three things done, you know, then all of a sudden every meeting you always say, okay, every meeting I will go to, I'm always asking for three key things I want out of those right. meetings. Right. A lot of meetings are set up, set up without knowing what do we want to happen yeah. after that meeting. So that's measuring. You know, you just got to sit back and go. Um, if you decide to do something different and you decide to change your behavior, you you got to think. Well, it, what is it going to help? How if it does? If you're the only one, if you say I want to make better cookies, and you make better cookies um and in the context of our conversation if those if you don't never sell those cookies you got to be thinking about how am i spending my time right cuz it cuz it might be great that you love your cookies but if nobody else is buying them then was that a good use of your time and you know we we the one thing you and i and everybody in the world has equal is Time we everybody gets seconds. Nobody, I can't add time to my life, I can't take away time from my life, and we can't make our uh, you know, we can't make hours longer or right. shorter, right? right? So, that's the whole measuring thing is what did I do? Am I conscious that I, you know, it's just like cooking, you know, am I putting in too much salt or not? And if you're not cognizant of the fact that you're doing these things, then you don't know.
1: And you started to point towards the third one there, as you were talking about measuring. Uh, and your your third competency was uh, creating value. Um, so, like with the cookie example, you know, just uh, just doing it, and I mean, you're creating some value for yourself, but you're talking about creating value for other people. So, and, and I think you sum it up, uh, or, or the way I sort of took you as summing it up was to to learn the market,
2: um, learn yourself, and then fill the gap between the two. That that's correct. Um, so. Creating the value is the only way you're going to stay employable and t- the future of work, as uh, Heather says. And one of the things I loved about... Uh, Heather, when I first found her on LinkedIn was her It was like, it's not, a, the future is not about work. It's about generating income. Mm. And that was a philosophy I had uh, a, a while back because, you know, I, again, my being an IT guy um, in the eighties and nineties, we went through several recessions and I would get laid off and I'd have to find new work. And it was, you know, it was just an up and down roller coaster, and it's like, Gee, how do I maintain, you know, and manage my income? So you got to know where the value is. So if you're, um, if, if you know, in computing, everything became first there was in-house techs, and then the, the tech went out. Then the the fixing of the computers and the printers all went outsourced. Then coding got outsourced. So I and it, and for after the year two thousand, coding got outsourced to India, and it never came back. Mm. Right. So if you didn't know what people thought were valuable, you know, if I can't if you don't know why you want to talk to me, then then there's no reason. Right. Because at the end of the day, we got to figure out how we're going to get a check. Right. Because, you know, the whole world is just shifting. So if you don't know what the market wants. You don't, how are you going to develop the skill to have it? So, back to my story, you know, I went to China because the mar- China market needed English teachers. And then I transitioned into doing corporate training because the big multinationals in China needed their employees to have better English skills and better business skills because they just, you know, we'd hear the same stories. They didn't take notes, they'd show up late, they wouldn't follow through. If you said, Do you have any ideas, they would. Would say they would just be silent. So and they were. That's because their their the Chinese culture doesn't really allow people to speak up in a room with management and say to management what th- they should do differently. In China, it's all about okay. We go behind the scenes, we get everybody in line, and then we make the decision in the meeting and we announce it. So they're not really. So there's a whole lot of different things that Chinese needed to learn about how to do business with Westerners. So I found that the you know. I could, an example would be an English teacher in China makes about, um, $25 an hour. Hmm. May, yeah. About, and a corporate trainer in China makes $75 an hour. Hmm. So the choice was, do I want to be an English teacher? Or do I want to be a corporate trainer? I want to be a corporate trainer because I want to maximize my, my, my time for the most value. Right. So if you're not paying attention to, you know, uh, where's the higher value work going and uh, it, then you're going to lose it because even though everybody thinks China is um, low value and low wages, they're actually pretty high now. And I've seen people lose their jobs, uh, tech jobs go to India from China. Mm. So, you know, that's like, what? Yeah, tech jobs going from China <laughs> to India because of lower costs?
1: Wow, I didn't even realize that was a, a phenomenon at this point, uh, though I probably should have if I've been thinking about it. So value. Um, we've talked a, about uh, continuous improvement. We've talked about measuring. We've talked about creating value. Planning is, is the fourth one you talked about, and I can sort of hear planning and, and, and what you and how you've been talking so far that you're not you're not just haphazardly doing this stuff. You've kind of you've got a vision. You've got goals. You kind of you know mm-hmm. where you're going.
2: Yeah, you have to. The, a lot of people have said to me, "Why is not planning higher on the list?" And I said, because, well, the plan is actually to know what you're going to improve Mm. and know how you're going to measure it and how you're going to, what's the value. Because that's the, if you don't know how many people go into meetings and they come out with stuff, but they really haven't said, well, what's the value of that, right? And so that's why we want to do it. We want to do it because the plan says it's going to create value. So executing, you can plan to lose weight you can plan to have shorter meetings you can plan to have less meetings and the value of that is more time to work on strategic stuff an example of this is uh, one of my uh, coaches in China he was complaining and saying I get too many emails from my employees I think a lot of people have that issue I helped him figure out how to write less and get his employees to write less he saved a half hour every day now, kind of connecting value to, mm-hmm. to planning. So by him coming to my coaching and planning to how to get his team to change their habits, a half hour every day is two and a half hours a week, is 10 hours a month. It's 120 hours a year. 120 hours a year is three weeks worth of work. It's pretty amazing. Now, you take his salary of $10,000 a month. So all so see, that all comes together now, mm-hmm. Right. He, I helped him and this company save $10,000 because he saved three, works, three weeks' worth of time. Well, I love that, too,
1: because, uh, I mean... We often feel that things are sort of squishy, or mm-hmm. you know, everything's kind of qualitative when you're talking about uh, learning and you know, acquiring new habits and that sort of thing. But really, I mean, very often you can find a way to to track it to something that is very concrete, very quantifiable, and as a result, uh, easy to communicate, easy to, to
2: show to somebody that that mm-hmm. value is being uh, is being created. It's spot on, right? It's and, and you know, I know um, I'm, I'm kind of melding the different concepts here, but. I'm a, I'm a, va- I sometimes when I came back from China, people say, what do you do? I'd say, I'm a super valuator. Cause I could pull numbers out of the sky that people mm. just couldn't, would f- just be, how did you do that? And an example was that as I was at American Chamber of Commerce uh, networking event on social media um, marketing. And this young guy from Deloitte and Touche, uh, or Ernest and Young, I can't remember, he gave a presentation on this, on this, uh, uh, Chinese app called WeChat, which is by far the biggest phone app in the world. I mean, it's got almost a billion people on yeah, it. Yeah, I've
1: read about it. Right, yeah. so yeah. it's
2: amazing. And yeah, you do want to buy the stock. There's a stock tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this guy gave this wonderful presentation, said, look, and the guy sitting next to me said, asked the, the the young man, what was your budget for that? And he said, I don't know. I'm the marketing guy. I'm not in finance. And I turned around and looked at the person and said, 1.5 million RMB. And he said, how did you know that? I'm like, I was listening, kind of back to active mm-hmm. listening and paying attention for what you can learn. And he said, well, how do you know? I was like, he said he has two full-time staff. And, the, you know, so to make the story short, you know, I calculated that their salary. I said, what's his his salary? I said, what? He said he had a, a full-time ad agency at $25,000 a month. Well, there's $250,000, $300,000. I was like, between those three salaries, that's like, and oh, and he had 15 full-time Deloitte and uh, employees that he could tap into and th- 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 to help assist, and then there's the photographer and the video and the recording and the editing of the video. I was like, "We're at 1.5." He goes, "It's amazing you could do that." I'm like, "Yeah," and I don't even work there. That's just because I knew the cost of employment,
1: mm-hmm. and you were paying attention. And I was paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your your last two, and maybe we can talk about them together because sure. they, they seem pretty related. Um, are communicating and networking. So talk about how those how those are such important competencies for the knowledge worker, for the lifelong learner, and, and the
2: economy we're in these days. Well, okay, so let's start off with the latter part. It's so important for the economy today because if you can't, how many people run around to networking events and come home with nothing because, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, well, because they're not communicating their value. I mean, I did a presentation for the uh, career transition forum up in Wake Forest that is helping people. Um, do career transitions, and I I said to them, what are you here for? I want a job. Well, somebody once told me a job is just over broke income. Mm. (laughs) And I said, no, you're not here. You're not looking for a job. You're looking for an opportunity to create value because that's what employers want to hear. They want to hear that. If you don't communicate that message outbound, you're not going to be able to listen for that message inbound and to hear them say, "Well, you know, if you're only thinking, well, how much of a vacation, medical benefits, four hundred one, and and how much is my salary? If that's all you're looking for in the interview, you're not going to get anywhere." But when you sit down and ask an, a prospective employer in an interview, "Why are you hiring me? And what's the value this position needs to create?" You're showing, you're communicating that you're looking at what they're looking for, which is why are they paying you. They're not paying you because they want to give out charity money. And as I mentioned to some MBA students in China during a presentation about job searching, I said, I don't care if you're in Brazil, Mexico, US, Canada, England, nobody hires you just to give you a check. They hire you to make a profit. And as soon as they're not making a profit, they shut the doors down. So you have to know, you, A, you have to hear the inbound message. This is Marketing 101. You have to hear the inbound message of what people want and what they're willing to pay for it. And you have to be able to have the outbound message to say, I can do that. And if you can't make that communication, so you and I are sitting here and communicating to thousands of people across the web because we couldn't do it 20 years ago, we've learned that this is what we got to do. And if, if, in today's world, if you can't write and you can't speak, you have no voice, hmm. so you got to be able to get your message out on social media. That this is the value. If you want an income, if you're independently wealthy, you don't need to be listening to this podcast. However, most <laughs> of us are not. So, if you want your team to to develop and and deliver higher value, they've got to be paying attention to the trends. And the only way that's inbound marketing. It's inbound learning, and they have to be able to tell the people that they engage with the value that they create and the value they create for their company. Because if they don't get that message out you know, I see LinkedIn profiles and people say, I've been here five years, I've been here X year and they don't have a stitch of information of what they do. If I'm going to interview with that person or that client, if they're going to be my client, I have no idea where they're what they're good at and I have no idea what they're bad at. So I can't even see the, the roadmap of how to deal with them. So in today's world, if you can't get it out there, um, then you know it's you, you're just going to yeah. be at a, at a dead end. And then the last part, which you talked about, is networking. Is well, that, where's the information coming from? You know, it's not going to come from social media because you know uh, somebody talk about learning, uh, and I'll give everybody an example. Somebody posted on LinkedIn that Business Insider had 3.5 million followers and got six comments on a post (laughs) (laughs) right so there's see it's a simple little thing yeah that's you know it's like wow how can you have so what's the good of 10 million followers if only six you get six posts what do the math that's less than like 0001 right you know what's the point of you know I, i as much as i think there's some great people doing some fun things in email uh marketing email marketing doesn't matter the big the most important number that most of them don't talk about is the actual conversion rate of yeah. acquiring a client i don't care if my message went out to 25 million people on linkedin if i get zero conversions in a sale
1: that's what it all comes is down that, to. And, and, and we, we say this all the time, you know, you can do everything you want in terms of promotion and everything else, but if you're not
2: converting, it just,
1: it just doesn't exactly. matter. You know, and, and,
2: and so you, you have to have some level within the noise. Mm-hmm. However, if it, you know, the only way you're going to convert is to have trust and, uh, and, and good, strong relationships. And you know, the only way you get that is through networking. Yeah. You don't get that through, you know, uh, so back to, you know, I, 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 can't say how much I, uh, I admire what the work Heather does. Mm. When I read her stuff, the first thing I did was, okay, hey, hey, this lady's special because it's really cool. The next thing I did was I reached out to her on LinkedIn and said, I'd like to have a conversation. Then we had a phone call. Then, after knowing what she did, I got her a speaking engagement in China. Uh. Right? So I didn't just say, hey, can I connect with you on LinkedIn? Thanks a lot. Because I'm learning, always learning from Heather. And so it's like, hey, China needs to hear this message. it's so cool and I got her there right And that was just me you know yeah. and and the and the people she spoke to, you know they needed to hear her message because they were all HR people and the person that brought her over was happy to have her. So I created value for Heather. I created value for the person that had the conference. I created value for the audience that's cool stuff. Yeah. Right? And, that,
1: and that's a great, you know, uh, personal, personal to you, personal to me, personal to Heather, example of networking that actually works, you know, cause there was value there, more value was created, more learning happened. Um, you know, that I think is, is what people need to be striving for. Not just how many followers do you, do you have, you know, or right, you exactly, know, how many exactly. emails can you send out? So continuous improvement measuring that improvement creating value uh, as as part of that improvement planning for those things to happen it's not going to happen accidentally communicating it well out to people who care about it Um, and those people who care about it are your network you want your network to be Mm -hmm. a quality network Mm -hmm. not a quantity network so that does that kind of Encapsulate the, the yeah sex sure competencies does there.
2: Uh, yeah so you know the um I I just to hit that last one on the networking side and the quant the quality over quantity I, I joined LinkedIn in two thousand five um I think so that was somewhere between one million and two million members mm. and I only have three thousand followers mm. after 15 what LinkedIn's what uh, twelve years old now that's that's so small acquisition however. I can tell you, I've spoken to ninety-five percent of those people. That's amazing, right? So, because uh, yeah. if people would say to me, "I want to connect with you," I say, "Okay, great. Do you want to do a Skype call or do you want to have a face-to-face?" And if they didn't come back saying, "Let's talk," I didn't accept, and I didn't care if they were venture capitalists, CEOs, if they yeah. and CEOs, if they did not say why they wanted to connect with me, I didn't accept.
1: That's that's interesting. I, I've been thinking lately. I'm gonna. Do some trimming of my own LinkedIn contacts and, and get more intentional about how I'm actually uh, interacting with people. So that's a that's an inspiration for me to to do that. Now, you obviously are a motivated, self-driven learner, and and I think that's you know that's a quality that you have to have in this day and age. You you have to have that that self motivation. You can't necessarily count on your employer, for example, to look mm-hmm. look out after you, and make sure you're going to get everything you need to uh, to do that continuous improvement. Most of our audience, though, is made up of people who are in the business of lifelong learning. So they're charged with helping people learn. You know, they're Mm -hmm. they're selling courses, they're selling conferences, they're getting members and customers to to come to those things and engage in learning in different ways. What would your advice be to those people to better serve somebody like you, that that driven, self-motivated learner, or maybe to help people become more more driven, self-motivated learners?
2: Oh, um, wow, so those those people need to really think about connecting the dot between what this person is doing today and what could impact their life tomorrow. They need to really be able to help people see, uh, economic indicators, especially from a career point of view and a hmm. uh, a life stability point of view. You can't have life stability if you don't see where the market trends are going. So leading economic indicators is something I learned from a website. Okay, And if you're not helping your customers know their value of what they do and how they do it, then you're not going to help. They're not going to buy from you. Hmm. So an example of that uh, is... Um, one of the things I was doing in China was helping senior executives career, do career transitions. It wasn't my main focus, but every now and then I'd meet somebody that was a GM that wanted to change jobs. And this one lady said to me, um, she said to me, well, how much is this gonna cost me? And I said to her, well, let me, let me say something to you. Um, I said, how long have you been out of work? And she went, four months and I said okay and it's october so which means you got november to find a job then it's december western new years uh, and christmas and then january's chinese uh, new years so you're going to have a dead month of two of two months maybe two and a half months so you won't have a job until march that's 5 months from now you're losing Um, And this is the Chinese equivalent. This is a Chinese RMB number. I said you're losing twenty-five thousand RMB a month, so you're going to lose one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars between now and March. You don't. You can't afford not to be ready by then. And if you're not getting interviews now, and you don't know your value now, you're not going to get another interview. So you're gonna. So my ten thousand RMB that I'm asking for is minimal. So um, you have to be. They have to be able to say, "I'm going to help you make stay employed. I'm going to help you um, know the latest trends." So, uh, so folks, this is going to sound crazy. I don't have a bachelor's degree. How did I survive in this world without mm. a bachelor's degree? I learned computing. I learned how to do, uh, build, manu- work for IBM and build banking equipment. Then I transitioned into copiers. Then I transitioned into banking and b- rolling out networks. And then I learned uh, uh, networking, how to connect computers through the networking using Novell software. Novell software is nowhere today, but that learning that trade back then. Was a valuable thing. So a three thousand dollar certification program kept me employed as a network administrator, making you know good money for five years. And then when that went, when that started to fall off and weaken out and get outsourced, I went into telecommunications and test equipment. And in there, I sold. I learned how to do marketing and sales. So I, I, I made a hop. I made a pivot before people talked about pivoting. And so I became a marketing and salesperson. Then, when that market dried up and the dot com bus came, I, I went to China, learned Chinese, had the skills to do corporate training because I became a Toastmaster. Mm. So you know, it all is about you know switching, pivoting, switching, pivoting. And if you're um, if you're not helping your clients read the tea leaves of where they need to go next, and it, so that means you have to be able to see where things are going next. Right. So so I I like you said I wrote a book. I never thought I'd be a writer. Um, I did a TED Talk. Oh, I never. I joined Toastmasters, but I never thought I'd be speaking and doing public engagements the way I do now. Um, so you have to be able to see where the, your client's industry is going and tell them that if they don't change... They'll they'll be left out in the cold. So that that's the most important. And you need to tell them the value of that change.
1: Well, I and mean, it occurs to me as you're talking to that to, to be able to get the people you've helped to tell their story. Because I'm thinking, you know, whoever you got that Nobel certification from would have loved to have you saying that Nobel certification. Mm-hmm. You know, got me five years of of employment. You know, and then Toastmasters. You know, I mean, Toastmasters would love to have you talking about uh, what what Toastmasters has done for you. Mm-hmm. So getting people to tell stories like you're telling that story of you know the, the agile learner the new knowledge worker and how they are helping those people would be very powerful we're we're about to the end of our time here but we do have one question that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show and it's going to be an interesting one with you because we've kind of been talking about this in some ways all along but the the the, the question is about your personal learning and specifically what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing any formal education uh, that you had? And this might be something you've experienced. It might be something you helped others. You know, you led this learning experience, and you've talked about a lot of things, obviously, but is there there something that stands out as just a a really powerful learning experience for you?
2: Oh, the powerful learning experience for me um, had to be Chinese because, Mm. you know... um, and and the reason why it was ex- uh, it was powerful was because I got my ESL certification uh, training from Duke, and they dropped that program, so they don't teach uh, they don't teach people how to teach English as a second language. However, learning that skill of English as a second language, and so let me reset this: learning English as a second language w- was was the most important thing I learned after college, uh, or my tech days, was because it taught me how to learn a second language. So when Mm -hmm. I started learning Chinese, I knew the importance of reading street signs in pinyin and characters so I can recognize the characters faster. It taught me the importance of learning how to write and taught me the importance of how to practice. I wouldn't be the Chinese language speaker I am today if I hadn't learned how to teach the language because learning how to teach it taught me what part to do to learn to build what strength. Mm -hmm. So in in learning a a language, a second language, you have to learn how to read, you have to learn how to write, you have to learn how to speak, you have to learn how to listen. The easiest part is listening, because all you have to do is listen listen to other people talk. So that's the, but then nobody ever teaches you that that's the easiest part. So learning that when to read, when to write, writing was the last thing I learned how to do in Chinese. Mm. So it was first I learned how to listen, then I learned how to speak, then I learned how to read then I learned how to write and if I hadn't learned how to teach a language I wouldn't have learned Chinese so well well I have uh I'm probably
1: biased in this respect because I've spent a lot of time learning languages myself but I have a lot of respect for anybody who tackles taking on a language particularly a language like Chinese which is so different from your native English and I mean you didn't do this as a child you did this as, a, as an adult when it's you know Harder for people to yeah. uh, to actually learn, so uh, you know I can see why that would be transformational.
2: Yeah. So I so back to that dedication and and focus part and measuring mm. every every I, the, my first learning of Chinese, I had some CDs that were games for learning the language. I played those CDs every night for an hour. Wow. And so every night I knew, play this game until I got 100 on the score. Play this game, get 100 on the score. And now every night, you know, some nights I'd get 90. And, you know, so in the beginning it was like 50, 50, 50, 50. And then all of a sudden it jumped to 60 and 70. And then it would be like, like just like one of the things was recognizing country names and country flags in Chinese. So if I got one wrong, I started over again. Hmm. And I didn't stop until... So every night I would practice looking at flags Hearing the names Pronouncing them And if I got one flag wrong I started over again for the night So it was like 20 countries So every, you know, randomly popping up flags And so Yet I knew every night I had to practice those CDs for an hour Right, right Well there we have
1: a a, a testimonial for game-based learning Which is so, so trendy right now and, and is very, very effective When it is actually done right so Gerald, thanks so much for taking the time for the conversation today and, uh, and best of all for, for being here in person. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's a, a pleasure and a privilege for me to actually be able to look across the table at a, at a guest, uh, rather than doing it by Skype. And I hope, uh, hope we're able to do more of this sort of thing. If listeners want to know more about you, um, find out, uh, about the work that you're doing, what are some of the best ways they can, um, get that information, connect with you, uh.
2: Yeah, sure, Jeff. So, um, to the listeners out there, first off, you can find me on LinkedIn, Gerald Bonner. But
1: they need to be prepared for a conversation. If That's it is. right. Okay. They
2: need to be prepared. Well, uh, I will give them a little leeway as long as they say I heard you. F-. See, now he, he, his little trick. If they say I heard your podcast from Jeff, can I connect with you? I will do it without having to talk to them. There you go. But if they don't, but if I don't see I heard the podcast with Jeff, I'm not going to know who you are. So you're not going to get it. Um, so you can go to um, LinkedIn, look me up, Gerald Bonner. And my title there is O to O social influencer um, uh, and, and a knowledge broker, and, right. it, or and we'll they link look, to that in the show notes yeah. too, so it'll
1: be easy for folks to get to. Yeah,
2: and so that, that's the easiest way because I, you know, I I live and breathe on on LinkedIn because that's where the it's still the the eight hundred pound gorilla when it comes to business social networking. Right. Well, great. Well, Gerald, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure.
0: That wraps up our interview with Gerald Bonner. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 149.
1: When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing.
0: We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can do that by going to leadinglearning.com iTunes. Jeff and I personally appreciate your ratings and reviews, but even more importantly, those reviews and ratings play a really important role in helping the podcast crop up when would-be listeners are searching for content on learning and leading. So take just a minute, leave us a rating and review, and that will be one of your kind acts of the day. And
1: we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit associationsnext.com. Salise and I put a lot of effort into the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the main reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors. So please visit associationsnext.com where you'll have the chance to learn and to experience the next thought LMS in action.
0: We also hope you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick whatever social network you prefer or even good uh, old-fashioned face-to-face communication to spread the good word.
1: Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.